Let's pray. Father, we thank you for just our time together and what uh, you have been so faithful through this last year as we think about your faithfulness and that you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. Father, we thank you that you that we can trust you. Father, I just I ask that you would give us great wisdom as we go through this study um, this week and next week and the following week. Father, as we think about uh, this new year, it's not uh, inconsequential and it's not out of your immeasurable providence that you have uh, allowed us to, that you are going to allow us to look deeply into Psalm 23. Father, as we think about 2012, think about what you are doing uh, in our lives, in our church, in our communities, nation, world, Father. Can't help but be reminded that uh, you have a plan and that you are sovereign, that your throne is above all things. You are accomplishing your purposes in all those dimensions of our lives so that we might become more like you, that we might be able to be a witness for you. Father, I pray that you would help us as we crystallize our thoughts going into 2012 about what really matters most, that you would use some way what we look at these next three weeks, Father, to be able to help us understand what matters most. I pray that you would use your spirit, power of your word, to accomplish that. Father, I pray for each one who sits today, next week, and the following week, look at this passage, Father, that you would um, press upon each of our hearts areas that... uh, we need to understand better that you would be glorified in our midst, that you would take um, dialogue, the conversation, richness of what this passage has meant in lives, Father, and, and take, it, take us to a place that um, this will serve as our clear beacon as we, as we, mig- as we move through 2012. Father, I pray that, um, that you would help us Please you, that you would give us the clarity in our lives, honor you, would be lifted up as a result. Thank you for this time together. <clears throat> well, I get the opportunity to be able to um, be a bridge from our studies of last year, which really were about um, two, two things in the fall. One was about um, the Hot Topics classes. I think those um, everybody I interacted with, for the most part, felt like you know that that was a profitable time in our lives to be able to interact on some things that sometimes we get really set on and 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 really clear about, but yet gives us a perspective that is maybe a broader perspective than where where we normally um, traverse, if you would. Um, secondly, um, we had the opportunity to be able to see a number of our guys in our um, body uh, be able to uh, take some kind of step out there a little bit further and and uh, get the opportunity to teach and that was uh, a great um, experience uh, had by each one of the guys and that will continue Um, and um, we will continue to see um, those guys uh, use their gift of of teaching Uh, the second part that we looked at in the fall was the psalms of lament anybody remember what lament means off the top of your head how would you describe it? What? Cry out. Cry out. Good. Good. Crying out psalms. And uh, we looked at those. Hopefully that was a really valuable exercise. I know I'm deep in counseling uh, with one uh, gentleman. And um, that, that process is, I believe, really is going to be one of the key things that allows uh, that individual to be able to um, reconnect with God and see how he's in the midst of the lament. Because <laughs> that gives us, a, if you remember Kyle's uh, conversation about that, that, that gives us language um, in our interactions sometimes with God. So uh, I get to be the bridge between that and what we're going to be doing um, in four weeks from now, which is kicking off uh, our uh, uh, First and Second Peter study. And um, this is um, a, a tremendously exciting a study for me because I, I get to 
I get the privilege of team teaching with David. And, and I've never sat, I won't remember at least, underneath his teaching. And I don't know that he has with mine just because we've always had to kind of cover the bases. Um, in, 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 so, um, I'm, I'm thrilled, looking forward to um, uh, collaborating with him on first. He's going to kick that off, if you would, um, with, a, with an in-depth look at Peter himself in, four, in uh, three weeks from uh, this Sunday. Um, and, and and I call it the the, the the first week will be about the the pre bar fish broil Paul uh, Peter, <laughs> and then the second will be, week will be about the the post fish broil Peter, <laughs> and what God did in the midst of that journey. And I think Dave has um, some thoughts about how um, he's good. He really just just some insights, and I think he'll share that with you. He really aligns himself with Peter in many different ways, I think. And, uh, and I think he'll, he'll have the opportunity to share some. That's our, that's our goal this year. Um, spend some more kind of, I think in the past, we've kind of been interact, in and out of a lot of things last year. And our, our goal this, this year will be to really kind of go a little bit deeper as opposed to thin, go deeper, and, and look, at, look at things from um, a systematic point of view, if you would. Well, uh, we, we come to uh, Psalm 23, and like I said, uh, this week we're going to focus on um, part one and part two of, of reflections on the Lord as my shepherd. Uh, today we'll, we'll get through verse two, uh, get into verse two, and then next week we're going we're gonna to pick up there and finish off uh, the psalm. And the following week we're going to focus on a number of various verses as it pertains to meditations on the shepherd and his sheep. Um, I know I, I was talking to, I heard Paula, overheard Paula um, mention that she had read a book on, on uh, Psalm 23 from Philip Keller, I believe it was. I didn't read the book. Okay. It's a great book. It's a great book. Uh, I forget it's uh, um, uh, Thoughts uh, on Psalm 23 from a Shepherd's Perspective, I think is the, is the name of the book. Uh, I highly recommend it. Um, it's very good. So when you think about this uh, psalm, and our study of that, um, first of all, I, I wanted to just get your input on this first question, if I could. Um, you, you who were leaders at the tables, if you could um, talk about, uh, uh, share in your life how this particular psalm is ministered to you or allowed you to do so with others. What was the situation uh, that you encountered as a result of that? Thoughts around this? <laughs> okay. Okay, so in hard times, in difficult journeys, past passageways, uh, other thoughts um, or specific encounters with Psalm twenty-three, life. Yeah, yeah. Yes, comfort the grieving in the midst of. Okay, others. Okay, hospitals. Yes. Okay, good. Hospitals, bereavement, pain, others. Okay, and. Uh, when you think about this psalm, uh, what, what do you think was the author's uh, purpose or the intent behind him writing the psalm? And were there any, some thoughts around that? Art? Okay. Yes, there's something about enemies going on in here, isn't there? Okay. Yeah. Always be hope and restoration. What a great theme. Great theme. Others. Testimony of his life. Okay, great. Yes, Nancy. What a powerful theme, isn't it? Yeah, we're going to talk a little bit about that today. We are not alone. He is with us at all times. Yeah. Yeah, the acknowledgement of, of these enemies that seem to kind of sprinkle themselves throughout this psalm, and then, and then this idea of um, refreshment. Um, the idea of refreshment. Um, huge theme through the other things. Anything else? Yeah. Love the way it finishes. Um, we're going to spend a little bit of time next week talking about that. Um, just the eternality of our faith, the eternality of our relationship, the eternality of of this thing that uh, he, he calls our promise, our hope in verse 6. really kind of bookends the, the psalm in a, in a very um, powerful way. Leaves us on a high from the standpoint of hope. And isn't that really about our, the way our lives are? You know, when God gives us, he says, the written in earlier times so that you might have encouragement and have, and have great hope. Yeah, absolutely. Well, how many of you have uh, actually heard uh, 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 any type of a, Teaching on Psalm 23 or preaching? Raise your hands. Okay. Um, well, it's fascinating. Um, Charles Spurgeon probably was um, called the Prince of Preachers. 
And he wrote this about Psalm 23. He says, It has been said that what the nightingale is among the birds, that is what this psalm is among the psalter. For it has sung sweetly in the ear of many a mourner in his night of weeping, and has bidden him hope for a morning of joy. Bidden in hope for a morning of joy. You know, uh, today, um, uh, Michael's going to preach on on Nahum. And uh, uh, you're in the community group. You'll enter into that probably this week also. And, And really, at the end of the day, the question that comes out of Nahum is, you know, what, what do we do when the foundations of our lives that, are, that matter most are, are pulled out from underneath us? How do we navigate and handle life when that happens? And I would suggest that our study on First and Second Peter literally is a primer to navigate life in that situation. And the incredible thing about God's providence and his wisdom about teeing up, you know, why Psalm 23 is that's exactly also what happens when, when we look through Psalm 23. Um, so let me take a look at uh, with you the context. Um, the context of Psalm 23, if you'll turn there, if you're not there already in your Bibles, um, is, is Psalm 23 is really bookended. Um, uh, or excuse me, sandwiched in between Psalm 22 and Psalm 24, of which all three were, were almost viewed as a trilogy, if you would, um, and written by David. And um, if you look at uh, Psalm 22, what you see is that this is kind of a prophetic view of the death of Christ. Um, Psalm 23 is a prophetic view of the resurrected Christ. And Psalm 24 is a prophetic view of what we'll say is the triumphant Christ. 22, um, look at a couple of verses here. Um, uh, Verse 14, um, I am poured out like water. My bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It's melted within me. My strength's dried up. My tongue cleaves to my jaws. Dogs have surrounded me. Bands of evildoers have encompassed me. I can count all my bones. They stare at me. They divide my garments among them. They... And my clothing, they cast lots. What's, what, what was that about as far as prophecy goes? Okay, when he was on the cross, when he was crucified. Yeah, absolutely. Um, then take a look at uh, uh, Psalm 24. He says, The earth is the Lord and all it contains, the world and those who dwell in it. Um, verse 8. Uh, verse 7, lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Well, well where, when will the King of glory enter into the, through the gate, the eastern gate? When, when he comes again. Um, and he says, who is this King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty. Lift them up, O gates. Lift up. O ancient doors. Who is the king of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the king of glory. And so this really is looking about his return to earth, uh, Christ's return to earth. 22 is about the past. 23 is about living in the middle of life where, where it meets us every day. Um, Psalm 24 is about the future. And, and we see these differences between these, these three uh, 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 psalms here. Um, let me jump you down to um, Psalm 22, seeing us as uh, Jesus Christ as the Savior. Jesus Christ is the shepherd in Psalm 23. And for Psalm 24, he's the sovereign king. In 22, he's really the good shepherd who gives his life for his sheep. In Psalm 23, he's the great shepherd. We're going to talk more about that. Resurrected with his sheep. In Psalm 24, he's the chief shepherd who returns to reward his sheep. So as we think about that... Um, one of the things that uh, the Quakers said uh, was that uh, this psalm really, really, of any psalm, it really speaks to our condition, speaks to our condition in our lives. I want to give you an illustration real quick as we got launched today, this morning. He's, Once upon a time, there was a, a shepherd tending his sheep at the edge of a country road. A brand new Jeep, Jeep, uh, brand new Jeep Grand Cherokee screeches to a halt next to him. The driver, a young man dressed in an Armani suit, Tistoni's shoes, Luis Vuitton Evasion sunglasses, a Rolex wrist say that ten times in a row wrist watch, and a Missoni tie gets out and says to the shepherd, "If I can guess how many sheep you have, will you give me one of them?" The shepherd looks at the young man, then looks at the sprawling field of sheep and says, "Okay." 
The young man parks the SUV, connects his MacBook Pro and wireless modem up to a NASA site, scans the ground using his GPS, and opens a database and 60 Excel tables filled with algorithms. And then he prints out a 150-page report on his high-tech mini printer. He then turns to the shepherd and says, you have exactly 1,586 sheep here. The shepherd answers, that's correct. You can have your sheep. The young man takes one of the animals and puts it in the back of his vehicle. The shepherd looks at him and asks, Now, if I guess your profession, will you pay me back in kind? The young man answers, Sure. The shepherd says, You're a consultant. Exactly. How did you know? asks the young man. Very simple, answers the shepherd. First, you came here without being called. Second, you charged me for a fee to tell me something I already knew. Third, you certainly don't understand anything about my business because I'd really like to have my dog back. (laughs) While you laugh, okay, um, many of us actually approach the scriptures this way. Um, We think we know what the text is saying when we throw it through our 20th century grid, um, interpretation grid. And uh, um, when we study God's word, um, it's important for us to understand that um, what the author intended uh, uh, it to it to say, as we as we call and, and what we do is we call this um, the uh, authorial intent. When we think about the authorial intent, what was the first question we want to a- ask ourselves is what was the author's intent when he wrote what he wrote? Sounds like an important place to start, right? What was the author's intent? When he, in his mind, when he sat down and wrote this, he was writing it under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, according to what the scriptures say. But he was writing it for a reason. What was that reason? Secondly, how does that reason or that intent then help us actually interpret what the scriptures say? How does it help us interpret what the scriptures say? Third, how does... Once we understand that, how does it help us apply that scripture to our lives? How does it help us apply that scripture to our lives? Um, let's take a look at the setting. The setting, we could have three different possibilities of interpretations here. The first, as we look at it, could be broken up into three sections. Um, verses 1 and 2, 3 and 4, and 5 and 6. Uh, maybe the author was writing one and two to speak of uh, a sheep, sheep and their shepherd. Three and four, if you'll look at that, actually could be like a, a guide and a traveler going along the way through these valleys and shadow of death. Verses five and six could be literally about a dinner guest and his host. As you look at that, you can see maybe that, that might be, be, be something there as far as how to interpret it, right? Second way to interpret it, could be about two different things instead of three. Verses 1 through 3 really being about a shepherd and his sheep. And verses 4 through 6 also still being about uh, a dinner guest and his host. Um, Well, I would suggest that it's really about one thing. About one thing and one focus. And that is, and that is about, it's all about about sheep and their shepherd. And, uh, when you look at this and you understand how, it, how, how a year would progress, um, sheep would be, it, during wintertime, they would be in uh, what we would call home, home to them. And then during the springtime, what we, you would see is they would be going up to the mountains, not the mountains, the highlands, where, where the great grass would be, fresh grass, um, and the, the shepherd would lead them from the base sheepfold through up to the uh, through the valleys on the way to the plateau regions. I remember in Nigeria that the, the plateau regions were were uh, just beautiful during that time of of water. Um, that's where the fresh vegetation was. And when I when I visited Israel, same thing. Um, that's where the vegetation was, the, the summer grass. And then as the summer gives way to the fall, um, the, the 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 shepherd would 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 move them from the highlands uh, to uh, uh, going home. And, and then during the wintertime, when cold starts to set in, uh, they would be back uh, at home from the highlands, if you would. 
So when we think about that, that journey, an annual journey, what's fascinating to me is also kind of it, in our own lives, all of us are kind of going through that journey, you know. Where are we in this journey as you think about our lives, you know. One of the, one of the, one of the metaphors I used when I had the privilege of speaking at Ada Smith's funeral was this, this specific metaphor of, of the journey in our lives and what, that, what, what her life meant to me as a result of that. Let's take a look at the author. Um, most of you have already said um, the author is David. He's the shepherd king. Um, he is the one who um, uh, has uh, a, a number of things that, that one would say are good about him. Some things maybe are bad about him. Talk, talk to me a little bit about some of the good things about David. What do you know David for? Okay, the friend of God, the one who um, uh, God said was a, a man after my own heart, meaning um, that he um, had, had a pursuit, a, a desire for God. Okay, what else? Beautiful musician, okay. Faith in God, okay. Giant slayer, yep. Uh, Goliath, right? What else? What are some of the things that you would you consider maybe are um, are bad about David? Sinner and an adulterer, okay. Other things? Murderer. Who did he murder? Briah, okay. Who was Bathsheba's husband? Right. Yep. Who else? The other things. Right. Killing. Big different. What else? Yeah, just what happened as as the end of his life and Absalom, his son rises up and 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 really um, takes his or wants to take his rightful place and and you see this uh, you know conflict exist throughout that their lives. Okay, what else? Yeah, he was uh, exactly not permitted to, to build this temple and yet God calls him a man after my own heart. You know, I mean, it's like these are. There's consequences in our lives, you know, to things. Well, when you think about this, um, one of the questions I asked you was, um, when was the psalm written? And, and, and I heard a, a lot of great conversation around this, and it really seems to land in a place that, that it's, it's really about David in, towards the end of his life. Um, and uh, it's in his twilight years. Um, it's the words of a man who uh, has lived much, has sinned much, but has been forgiven much. And, and he, has, he looks back in time and sees that. And, and I heard another comment over here about, you know, it's, it's through when we, when we learn uh, in our lives about what God's doing in our lives and we become more like him, that's the process, I think it was Carla said this, um, that's the process where wisdom is gained. That, and you see wisdom just like oozing out of these words in this. Uh, what a fascinating thing. Well, come with me as you can. Almost uh, see David on his throne. He's reminiscing about his, 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 his shepherding days of yesterday. And you almost see this scepter that's in his hand transform itself into, in, in, into, a, into a rod instead. His rod and staff. And you, and, you, and you almost see him being transported, if you would, uh, literally to atop the sapphire meadowlands. You know, and, and, and in the distance, you can see the grassy hills uh, as they as they flow down into the, uh, the shimmering Mediterranean and and the azure blue sky above us. Once again, you can just literally see David home. Writes the psalm. Um, well, <clears throat> let's begin our time together uh, looking at my shepherd. My shepherd is the first um, uh, thing I want you to take a look at there, um, and he says the Lord. The Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. This is really focused on uh, God's character. God's character. What we find here is that God, um, the, 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 when you see the capital L-O-R-D, that is God's name. Whoops, I'm sorry. For the co- he, as a covenant-keeping God. And, and when we think about that, um, uh, not, it's, of, it's of great significance that David starts that off with, um, the Lord. So when we think about that, uh, Jewish people really um, will not say that name. In fact, uh, uh, the high priest one time a year uh, in Yom Kippur, Day of Atonement, um, that is the only day that he would say that name. So it was, it was um, a, a key 
uh, name of God that, that he starts off this off with, and he's speaking of his character. He's a covenant-keeping God. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Second is, um, he is my shepherd. He is my shepherd. This really speaks of our relationship with God. Our relationship with God. Um, he says, he, start, he uses the word is. And for, I don't know about you, but for me, I found this fascinating from the standpoint of, of really seeing that this is present tense. Lord is my shepherd. Not, not was, not will be, but he is. And, and when I think about that, um, this same God, the one who inhabits eternity, um, is my shepherd. Is my shepherd. Um, he never changes. Um, and and, and as, as a position with, as believers, uh, he is always our shepherd. He is always our shepherd. Well, let's take a look at the word my for just for a second. Um, and, and, and my here has two perspectives I want to speak of. One is God's perspective, and one is our perspective. From God's perspective, God always was, He always is, He always, he, he always is, to, he is to come. And He not only created all the gigantic galaxies that exist, um, some have determined that maybe there's a hundred, over a hundred billion galaxies in the world, 100 billion galaxies, and, and, and it's, it's thought that each of those galaxies have in the vicinity of 100 billion stars also. So, so take for a second and think about how all that hangs together. That's our great God. And on top of that, when we think about from our perspective, um, he, in his transcendent, majestic power who holds and glues all that together desires to condescend to be my shepherd that that's amazing to me that that's wonderful and and millions of people do not know god as quote unquote my shepherd they know him maybe as a shepherd but he's not my shepherd and and in a in a class this size on any given sunday morning i i, I never know whether or not there's people in this room or listening to me on the internet who have never made God their shepherd. Because you see, as sheep, we're owned by somebody. It's either Satan or God. There's only the kingdom of light and the kingdom of darkness. He says that we are part of one of those sheepfolds. The question is, have you ever made God your shepherd? If not, I, I encourage you to do through accepting Jesus Christ and His slain, Him being slain on the cross, His blood as a, as a sheep, sacrifice for my sin. Talk about more about that later. We also call Him my shepherd. Um, because He is our shepherd, David here assumes that we are, in this context, this metaphor, His sheep. Because He's our shepherd, we are His sheep. Okay? Um, I want to make a couple of observations, five of them about shepherds. Um, it's, not, it's not unimportant to understand uh, this a- analogy here, and I'll give you five quick observations. The first is that a shepherd, um, a shepherd's role is to know their sheep, to know their sheep. Uh, they know their sheep intimately. They know their name. They know their character. They know their weaknesses. They know their strengths. A- and... And a shepherd will know his sheep. And it's of utmost importance for us to understand that God, as our Creator, knows us individually. He knows us by name. He knows the hairs on our head. He knows everything about us. And don't for a second think that because of that, He doesn't love us unconditionally. So, to know their sheep, to know us, um, uh, is the first thing. The second is to lead their sheep. To lead their sheep. A shepherd leads their sheep and guides them in the way in which they should go. In the way in which they should go. The third is they protect their sheep. They protect their sheep. A, a shepherd's role is to continually look out for predators and, and, and wolves and, and to put up barriers of construction in place so that their sheep will not be hurt. So, isn't that also one of the key manifestations of the discipline of the Lord in our lives? 
We may never know until we get to glory how God is putting hedges of protection in our lives to keep us from sin. And I, I would suggest it's way more than you ever thought. You know, I think of Paul when in, in Corinthians he says, you know, no temptation has overtaken you, but as such as is common to men, but God will what? With that temptation also make a way of escape. He is putting hedges of protection in our Pray for that. Yeah. Um, uh, anybody got that off the top of your head? First Corinthians 13. There you go. Thank you. Um, fourth one is to feed their sheep. To feed their sheep. A shepherd's role is to feed their sheep. I'm going to talk a little bit more about that today. Uh, the fifth one is to care for their sheep. To care for the sheep. At the end of the day, a shepherd's role, and, and you see this in, 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 in Mideastern uh, thought processes, uh, it's a dirty profession. It's kind of the lowest of the low. And yet, what's fascinating is God actually takes this lowest of the low profession of shepherds and raises it up to be an incredibly valuable, um, important job for the thing that, he, that matters most to him, which is his church. <laughs> and he raises the level of, of a shepherd's role to be like of utmost importance. Care for the sheep. Shepherds are involved in the underbelly of the underbelly Dirty, people messy, it doesn't always work right. Love the sheep enough to be able to, as does God in our lives. So we'll never understand um, how um, God, how much God cares for us um, until we understand his role in our lives uh, of, of uh, caring for us um, in ways that we will, we will always look back and, and, and wonder with awe for all of eternity that God loved us enough to care for us. I was asked the other evening when, uh, by Michael, well, Mark, what, 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 book, what, what book, if you had to write a book, would you, would you write it on? That was an interesting question. Um, and, and if there's one like this jumps out at me, it's the goodness of God. I think, I, I think if we catch a glimpse of the goodness of God, it will radically transform our lives. Radically. Because we start from the premise that doesn't put God on trial and actually submits the glorified Son of God. That Jesus Christ is the glorified Son of God. Um, observations about sheep. What were some of the ones you came up with at your table? Jump, shout them out. Go ahead. Dumb. Dumb. I heard another one over here a little bit more nasty called stupid, I think I heard. <laughs> Followers. Followers, okay. Dirty, okay. Helpless, scared. Don't recognize danger. Innocent, yeah. Walk into danger, okay? Trusting, yeah. Nice wool, though. <laughs> Until they cut it off, right? Okay, some great, some great observations about sheep. Let me, let me, let me continue on, huh? <laughs> Shrink. <laughs> Shrink. Wrap yourself up in wool and then you know make yourself wet and see if you shrink. <laughs> um, so sheep are rather dumb. Let me give you um, five observations that I wanted to make about sheep. They're rather dumb. Uh, someone has once said that the only reason God ever bothered to create sheep at all was to have an illustration of what Christians are like. <laughs> I thought that was powerful. That was a great quote. <laughs> you know? Great quote. Second, sheep are property. I talked about that just a second ago, and that somebody owns sheep. You don't, you don't see any wild sheep out there, like, you know, navigating the world, you know, on their own, doing, experiencing life uh, by themselves, okay? It, that, they, that doesn't happen. Sheep are do, some type of a, like a domestic, more of a domesticated kind of an animal. They're not wild in that way. For some reason. And so somebody owns them. And scripture tells us that there are no free sheep. There are no free sheep. They're, they're owned by somebody. And we talked about that just a second ago. Third is that they are dependent and needy. They're dependent and needy creatures. They just don't take care of themselves. Um, they take more attention and, and meticulous care um, than any other form of livestock. Any other form of livestock, sheep, are the most needy and most dependent. Um, four, they are weak and defenseless. We talked about that just, just a second ago. Weak and defenseless creatures, uh, I'll add, 
without their shepherd. <laughs> without their shepherd, they're weak and defenseless creatures. With their shepherd, they, they are protected. Um, and five is they have habits of wandering. They have habits of wandering. I observed this firsthand with a flock of sheep when I was over in Israel. I was traveling through the countryside in Israel and a, and a whole sh- uh, uh, herd of sheep was going through the countryside and I was standing up on the, the, the highway there looking down and saw what happened. And it was fascinating because the, the shepherds uh, were moving the sheep to a different place and what helped move them was this, this sheep dog that just would... Like, you know, go out to the corner wanderers, if you would, and nip at their toes, nip at their, their heels, and, 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 and that would kind of bring them back into line, if you would. If you think about that in our lives, you know, that, that sheepdog really is, is a great illustration of, of the Spirit of God in our life, isn't it? Um, is that He is out there encouraging us to get back in the way, if you will, um, as we live our lives. And so... Um, more to come about uh, about that uh, uh, over the next couple of weeks. Uh, well, David's perspective in writing the psalm is that is that of a sheep. Understand that you will never enter into the great blessings of the great shepherd, okay, unless you begin this journey today by willingly admitting that you are a sheep. <laughs> so let's just start there for a second, and then we'll see where it takes us. Well, he moves on, and, and he, now he moves from from talking about shepherd to talk about uh, his shepherding, if you would, in verses uh, 1c through verse 5. Um, this week and next week, we're going to talk about th- 11 different benefits of, of his shepherding to us as sheep. I'm going to cover three today and eight next week. So let's, let's move on. First is my contentment. Um, my contentment. He says, I shall not want. What, what does the word want here mean, do you think? Shall not want. Does it mean like I shall not want him, or does it mean something else? Yeah. Go ahead, Carl. Don't want anything. Have all you need. Okay. Good. Uh, Put that on there. That's that song. Remember, all I have in you is more than enough. Right. That that is the that's the message that that we want to interact with here is and and interestingly enough, uh, the key to the understanding the entire psalm is right here. It's because David allowed the Lord to be a shepherd with a conscientious decision of his will that he could say, I do not want. He could say, I do not want. Translated, this would say, I am never in a state of want. I am never in a state of wanting anything that I really ever really need. How powerful is that? When I willingly make him my shepherd, I willingly take on this state of not being, needing anything. He meets all my needs. What incredible insight. How much each one of us has to learn about uh, Scripture and the Word of God and the character of who God is um, through, through this. Well, the second part to this is, 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 the key, is the key to understanding life. Key to understanding life. So many times I can get so transfixed on the on how great that green grass is, or how great this journey's been, or, or how great um, the quiet waters are, and I forget the most important thing, which is my shepherd <laughs> and my intimacy with him. And, and because of that, I will not want. That's the key to understanding life. We, we eagerly anticipate overflowing cups and what the shepherd does for us, but we are not fully desperate for the shepherd. That's the point. How desperate in my life as I enter in 2012 am I, am I for God and God alone? That's the question. Where are you at? It's the shepherd who's front and center throughout this whole psalm. It's like a string of threaded pearls and a golden strand that links every one of these words together in a way that, that makes the shepherd. It's not about what he's done for me. It's about who I, have I made him the center of my life? Am I orienting my world around him or am I uh, allowing him and everything else to orient around me? That's, those are two different mindsets, completely different mindsets. 
Without him, this psalm and our lives fall apart and they would have no meaning whatsoever. So it's the key to understanding the psalm, it's the key to understanding life. Observations around contentment. First and foremost, contentment is not determined by things. I have found that the most the world's uh, most successful, affluent, prestigious people are not content, they're unhappy, and they have never experienced true joy. You show me a believer who gets this understanding of, of, of the, the Lord as their shepherd, and I'll show you somebody who is content and has great joy, is at rest, and has peace of God that, that passes all understanding. In the midst of great hardship, Great trial. I've seen it at work. I've seen it on display. I'll tell you today about those Christians that are in Nigeria today, in Joss, Nigeria, who are today navigating being killed. And they are navigating with joy. What if that was here? Where are you at in the midst of this journey? Are you ready to do that? Are you ready to be able to, be, to, be, to suffer for Christ? Let me tell you, I can't talk about this until I've exercised this in my life. And he says, not determined by things. They are never content because their owner, their shepherd, believes their sheep are only fit for the slaughterhouse. God says, you're mine. Well, the second one here is grass isn't greener on the other side. Grass isn't greener on the other side. Let me say, it rarely is. It it looks that way from here, (laughs) but it really never is, hardly. Besides, let me just admonish you for a second. The grass where you are is where God has led you. The grass where you are is where God has led you. Until He moves you, longing for greener grass is a lack of contentment. What He's already provided for you, that is a sin. Longing for the greener grass creates in my heart a lack of contentment, which makes me an unthankful person, which makes me put God on trial, which makes me sin, which makes me not dwell in intimacy and confidence of intimacy. You can't do that. It, it doesn't happen at the same time. Either I have a thankful heart and I can give thanks in all things, or I'm putting God on trial and I am not content. And when I'm not content, I don't have joy. Period. Period. Third thing is content sheep don't complain. Well, this one's going to hit some of us really squarely between the eyes. On, on your complaining index, where do you fall day in, day out? What are some examples in our lives of, 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 of complaining? Okay. Being ill. Okay. Others? Share your own, your, your own complaints. What else? Pardon me? Health. Health. Work. Circumstances, right? Situations that God's ordained sovereignly I go through. Tough. What else? More money. You know why do the why do the why do the wicked always prosper when it has to do with me? <laughs> okay. Yeah. You know what? Paul tells us: Do not complain. Right? He says, "Do not complain." You become lights in the black canvas of this world. Complaining. Um, I, I found in my own life when I don't get what I want or I don't like my situation or circumstance, I found that a complaining attitude or spirit comes from one of those two roots. And the two roots are either selfishness, of sin of selfishness, or lack of faith. Those are the only two roots that create complaining spirit. Content sheep don't complain. It hasn't changed. You have to look a right. Way. right. And and once it becomes different, it's because you have made a conscientious decision to submit yourself to that end and be thankful. Once that happened, now you can navigate that completely differently because you are not putting God on trial. Process. Amen. Well, the fourth observation here is the need for contentment far surpasses all other desires in life. A short but touching epithet can be frequently found in the catacombs of believers who have been martyred for their faith in Rome. And you know what that epitaph says? It reads, in Christo, in, I may say this right, pace, P-A-C-E, in Christo, in pace. What does that mean? In Christ, Christ in peace. And I think about that, the surpa- um, they saw the surpassing value of their shepherd um, over their earthly situations and circumstances. Satisfaction for the soul is infinitely more value, um, valuable than significance, security, and uh, safety. Significant security and safety. 
Well, the next thing is his shepherding. He makes me lie down in green pastures. I'm going to go through a couple of these pretty quick, and we'll touch on them again here. Um, observations about lying down. <laughs> observations about, well, first of all, his shepherding is my rest. When he makes me lie down in green pastures, my rest. Um, observations about lying down. He knows I need to lie down. He knows I need to lie down. I could tell you a story about Avia, um, who doesn't know she needs to lie down. <laughs> um, you, you need to make her lie down. <laughs> but you know what? When she lies down and she goes to sleep, she needed it, right? And, and uh, so he knows I need to lie down. Interesting enough, he also makes me lie down. Um, he makes me lie down. Um, beyond uh, knowing that I need to lie down, he also knows that unless he makes me lie down, I probably won't lie down. Probably won't lie down. Um, the third is that he li- lying down takes time. Lying down takes time. Most of us don't want to take time to lie down because it takes time. Um, this is a, a decision based, I'll suggest, on a value proposition in our life. The value proposition is this. We don't understand that it's in the process of the moments of rest that we are able to interact with the shepherd. That's when the interaction takes place. That's when he speaks to us and he reveals to us who he is. It's in the moments of lying down that we interact with the shepherd. You know, I, don't, I won't turn to it here, but look, look at 2 Corinthians 3.18. 2 Corinthians 3.18, he says that, um, that, that, that when, when from, from, from encounter to encounter, as we interact with the Word of God, it changes us. It transforms us. It makes us into who He wants us to become. And it's that journey of, 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 of interaction that would not occur when we're walking, would not occur unless we've li- li- I'm lying down and listening in the presence of the Lord. Um, and uh, super important. Uh, a couple more things real quick. Um, let's go uh, requirements that are needed to lie down. What's fascinating here is that every one of these requirements actually get, get resolved by the shepherd, by nobody else but the shepherd. The shepherd accomplishes these things on our behalf. And so, requirements that are needed to lie down, first of all, is, he, is freedom from fear. Freedom from fear. I'm going to talk more about this later. But um, sheep are timid and fearful. Um, a, a stray jackrabbit who runs across the, 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 the meadow um, will, will stampede the whole flock. And it's only the presence of the shepherd that will calm them down after that. Um, calm them down. Freedom from fighting and fear. Uh, freedom from fighting and fiction, friction. I'm going to talk more about this next week. Um, freedom from flies. I'm going to talk more about this also next week. But just know, during the summer, flies will tend to torment the sheep. And a tormented sheep will not lie down. So we're going to talk more about how does, that, how does a shepherd do that in our life. What are the flies in your life? What are the flies that are the nu- nuisances that keep you from being at rest? Well, I'll suggest next week how the shepherd actually takes care of that. And the fourth one is freedom from the need for for, for food. Freedom from the need for food. If sheep are hungry, they won't lie down. If sheep are hungry, they won't lie down. But he says he makes them lie down in green pastures. Observations about green pastures, first of all, is green pastures are uh, here stand for the Word of God. Word of God. Um, Don't miss the fact that they're green. That they are the ones that that what is real soul food, food that will meet our very souls. Second, uh, a note to shepherds, um, a, a couple notes. We as shepherds are under shepherds. We are not the great shepherds. We are under shepherds. If you're a teacher, you're a preacher, you're an elder, you are a shepherd of 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 people, your flock, the people you're interacting with, and. As such, you have a divine accountability to work hard and take great pains at teaching the Word of God with great accuracy, a great application. And um, a tremendous word of caution goes to any of us who stand and preach or teach um, uh, without preparing, without preparing and, and making sure that God is in it and praying. Understand that as shepherds, we are sheep also. And I, I would suggest as, as a teacher and a feeder, of, 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 of the Word of God, um, uh, it will only be directionally proportional successfully to the fact that it has first fed me and that I then take and are able to use that to feed others. God is, has a mysterious way of making that work in our life. 
and uh, um, more to come on that next time. The last one is a note to sheep. A note to sheep. First of all, sheep do not know and seldom appreciate all the unseen and significant preparation, toil, hard work that shepherds perform on their behalf to serve them up green pastures and to protect their souls. Let let me just say this in this room, uh, and he would never want me to say this, okay? but Mike and his role in this church as an elder, um, you can't thank him enough for all he has done on your behalf, and you never would know behind the scenes what, what he's done and, and continue. Take the time. Thank your shepherds. Take the time to tell them when you gave up all of these things in your life to behind the scenes shepherd the flock of God. I just want to tell you, thank you. Thank you, Mike. Last but not least, I'll leave it here and we'll pick it up next week, is he leaves me between quiet and still waters. It's my refreshment. My refreshment. We could talk about this for a long time, so I'm going to cut it here. But sheep are naturally afraid of running water. They need the shepherd to be able to carve out a still area for them to, to, to drink in. And what you don't know is how much effort it takes to do that on your behalf when you don't even see it happening. The shepherd went behind the scenes, carved out uh, raging waters, running waters, to make a still area to drink from. And I would suggest that you need to thank your shepherds for that. We need to be thankful people. In closing, turn with me to Hebrews chapter 13, and we'll close with this. Hebrews chapter 13, again, one of my faves, but most people know that by now. Um, Hebrews 13 uh, verses 20 and 21. David, would you stand and read this out loud? Hebrews 13, verses 20 and 21. Amen. Have a great day.